This morning we are concluding our series on the life of Abraham. So for the last months, we've been studying Genesis 12 through 24, and we've looked at Abraham's life, and what I want to do this morning is give you an overview of these chapters, a bird's-eye view of chapters 12 through 24, and I want to show you what I believe the main point of Abraham's life is. But to see the main point, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis to see how Moses sets the stage for Abraham's life. So let's go all the way back, starting off with God creates in Genesis 1 and 2. So just think about this. God created this massive universe and this beautiful planet Earth that we're living on. And then he created Adam and Eve, and he gave them life, life, and amazing bodies, and he gave them each other, and best of all, he gave them the joy of knowing him, worshiping him, trusting him. God has created, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and through creation, God shows us that he is infinitely powerful, flawlessly wise, and perfectly good, overflowing with love and goodness, which means that we have every reason to trust Him completely and obey Him instantly because of what He's displayed Himself to be. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Then, tragically, Genesis 3, we sin. Adam and Eve, just like all of us, they became proud. They, didn't, they wanted to be like God and decide for themselves how they were supposed to live. And so when Satan, the serpent, tempted them, they sinned and ate of the one tree that God had forbidden. And because God is perfectly just, he has to punish sin. And so even though up to that point, the world was full of God's blessing. Their sin brought God's curse, God's judgment upon the earth. And that's why there is sorrow. That's why there is difficulty. That's why there is sickness. That's why there is death. That's why there are tsunamis. That's why there are hurricanes. This is God's curse, God's wrath poured out upon the earth because of Adam and Eve and our sin. And because of that, Every human being who has sinned, which is all of us, we face God's judgment forever. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, jot this reference down, God makes an amazing promise. He says that one of Eve's offspring will crush Satan's head. And because of that, God will bring his saving power upon people and change our hearts so we turn from our sin and put our trust in God and His Messiah, Jesus, and are completely forgiven and filled with His love. God promises that He will do that through one of Eve's offspring. And who is that? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus was prophesied all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible. There's Jesus. On the cross, his resurrection, he crushed 
Satan's head, broke his power. That's chapters three. Chapter three, we sinned. Then chapters four through eleven, again, tragically, sin spreads throughout the earth. Now, God, as he had promised in chapter three, he does bring his saving power upon people, changes hearts of men and women, and they turn from sin and put their trust in God and his Messiah, like Seth and like Noah and like Enoch as examples. But for the most part, sin is spreading. And when we come to Genesis chapter 11, all we can see is that everyone's rebelling against God. We can't see anyone who's godly, who's trusting God. Sin has completely spread and covered the world with God's judgment and God's curse. And that brings us to the end of chapter 11, which means it brings us in chapter 12 to the life of Abraham. So what is then the main point of the life of Abraham? And that was the question I raised this week as I studied through the life of Abraham. And as I looked at the events that Moses includes about the life of Abraham and what he emphasizes about those events, I saw that the main point in these chapters, the life of Abraham, is to show us that God promises salvation. That's why Moses wrote us about the life of Abraham. He wanted to give us the history, that's important, but the the truth he wants to highlight is God's promise of salvation. He wants us to see that God's promise of salvation is breathtakingly merciful and loving. Like, are you kidding me? And that it's unstoppable. Opposition after opposition comes up, God crushes through every opposition. Nothing can stop his promise to bring salvation. And that it is going to be a promise of salvation for every ethnic group. And that it's going to be through the offspring of Abraham. Same as was mentioned through the offspring of Eve. Now it's narrowed, got more specific. Now it's through the offspring of Abraham. And we know that's all pointing towards Jesus. So to see this, let's look at the 14 main events of Abraham's life. Are you ready? Are you awake? Okay, 14 main events from Abraham's life and how each of these emphasize this point of God promising salvation. So Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9, God gives promises to Abraham. Now Abraham, just like all of us, was a sinner by nature and by choice. But we know that God changed his heart. He had turned from his sin because when God calls him to leave his land 800 kilometers north of Canaan and trust God to lead him down there, he obeys God and goes. And then God gives him these amazing promises. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. I am going to bless you. But the best promise of all is right there in chapter 3 where God says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Now see, up to that point, the whole world was under God's curse. But here God promises that through Abraham's offspring, in the next chapters he gets more specific, it's through Abraham's offspring that God brings his blessing to all the ethnic groups of the earth. Up to that point, the whole world was under God's curse. Now God's promising through Abraham's seed, I'm going to bring a salvation that will bring my blessing upon every ethnic group. People from every nation, tongue, and tribe are going to have their hearts changed. They're going to have forgiveness of sins through faith in God and His Messiah. They're going to be restored into relationship with God. Every, people from every ethnic group are going to experience this. 
And God says he will do this through Abraham, which again is through Jesus. All these pointers towards Jesus Christ in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 12, 1 through 9, God promises, give, God gives promises to Abraham. Got off to a good start here at the beginning, but now we've got some bad news. Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Abraham lies about Sarah. Oh, this is shocking. There's a famine in the land of Canaan. In order to get food, Abraham and Sarah travel down to Egypt. Abraham knows Sarah is beautiful, and he fears that if Pharaoh learns that she is his wife, that Pharaoh will kill Abraham and take Sarah into his harem. And even though God had promised Abraham, I will bless you, I will protect you, Abraham, in his pride, turns his back on God's promise, takes matters into his own hands, and lies to Pharaoh. She's my sister. Pharaoh says, wonderful. Goodbye, Abraham. Sarah, come with me into his harem. This is a huge problem on many levels. Marriage level, but that's another story. But this is a huge problem because God had promised to bring salvation to the world through Abraham's offspring. But if Sarah is in Pharaoh's harem, Abraham and Sarah aren't going to have any offspring. But Moses wants to show us, like I said, nothing can stop God's promise of salvation. So God brings great plagues on Pharaoh's house. I think starting the moment... He took Sarah away. Plague started. Something's wrong here. Everybody's getting sick. And God protected Sarah through that whole process. And Pharaoh realized there's a problem here. You must not be his sister. You go back to Abraham. And once again, God delivers Abraham and Sarah from Abraham's sin in this case. But now this passage does raise a question. I thought salvation included God changing our hearts. Wasn't Abraham's heart changed? And yet here he sins. So does God's salvation, the salvation that will come through Abraham's offspring to all the nations, does that salvation change us? Or do we just keep sinning? And the answer is it does change us, although not perfectly. And we'll see that in Genesis 13 and 14. Powerful two chapters. Two situations in which Abraham sacrificially trusts God's promises. You remember these First one, Abraham's there, Lot's there, they've got flocks, God's blessed them so much, there's no room for the two of them to live in the same place anymore, they need to live in two separate places. There's only two possibilities, there's the lush green valley of Sodom and Gomorrah area, and then there's the barren rocky hillsides. So how are they going to decide who's going to get which area? Abraham trusts God's promise. God had said, I will bless you as you bless others. Abraham trusted that promise and sacrificially said, Lot, you choose. And Lot chose the lush, fertile valley, and Abraham got the rocky, bare hillside. But you see how Abraham's heart's been changed. He's trusting God's promise. Second instance, soon afterwards, wicked kings come and attack and conquer that lush, fertile valley and take Lot and his family away as captives. So now Abraham has to decide, what, am I, what should I do? Just like serves him right? He was selfish? God's getting him? That's not what he does. He trusts God's promise. God said, I will bless you as you bless others. So Abraham chose to be a blessing to Lot, and he risked his life 
rescued Lot. And in the course of that, we see that Abraham's heart has been changed, and he's trusting God. So salvation does change our hearts. Doesn't make them perfect, doesn't make them sinless, but does change our hearts so we progressively grow in trusting God the rest of our lives. Now that raises another question. And that is, if there is still remaining sin in us, how can we ever be confident that a holy and just and righteous God who can't be in the presence of sin, how can we be confident that we're accepted by Him if there's still a sin remaining in us? That's the next section. Chapter 15. Abraham is justified by faith alone. I love that Moses puts this in the very first book of the Bible. This is the foundation of our salvation. The main point is verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. What this means is, when we turn to God with genuine faith, even if we're battling sin, we're struggling with sin, but if we turn even with weak faith and we put our trust in God and His Messiah, God counts that faith as a lifetime of perfect righteousness. Now, how can God do that? It's because of what Jesus would do in Abraham's future, what He has done in our past. Jesus, fully God, became fully man. Fully God, fully man. He lived a perfectly righteous sinless life. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And so, get this, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you looked at Jesus and say, I trust you, help me, we are joined to Jesus at that moment. And his lifetime of perfect righteousness becomes, as a gift, our lifetime of perfect righteousness. We don't become perfectly righteous, but we're clothed. We're covered with his perfect righteousness. We can be completely accepted by God, and his death paying the penalty for sin becomes his death paying the penalty for our sin. So it's not because of what we have done that we're accepted by God. It's because of the finished work of Jesus and his sinless life. Now, don't miss this. This makes the religion, the, 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 if you want to call it a religion, this makes the salvation that God describes here in the book of Genesis completely different from every other religion. Don't miss this. Every other religion says we earn acceptance from God by our obedience. Every religion says the same thing. The problem with that, though, is that none of us obeys perfectly, so none of us can be sure God's accepted us. And if God is perfectly holy and just and righteous and there's still a sin in us, how can God accept us? So every other religion leaves people either discouraged or striving, 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 striving and hopeless. But this salvation in Genesis 15, it's not that we earn acceptance from God by our obedience. It's that we receive acceptance from God as a gift received by faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of Christ's sinless life and death on the cross for us. So this last week, I had a time where I was, just, I was really struggling with jealousy, to my shame. And see, at that moment, because I've been studying this, I don't need to get over my jealousy before I can come and meet God. In fact, I can't get over jealousy without first coming and meeting God right? 
But the beautiful thing is, even with this jealousy swirling in my heart, I can say, Jesus, look at me. Help me. I'm, I'm full of jealousy. Change my heart. Forgive me. Set me free. And see, I've got faith, and by faith alone, I'm assured I'm clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. The Father's smiling at Steve Fuller. Even though jealousy's swirling in my heart, I'm clothed with Jesus' righteousness by faith alone. He's moving towards me with heart-changing power, and he changed my heart that day. You see how this works? You don't need to try to get good enough to earn God's favor. You will never do that. Every other religion says to do that. It's hopeless. We come as we are. We trust our Savior. And by faith alone, we receive acceptance from God as a free gift on the basis of what Jesus did. Freedom, church. Don't miss this. And if you... If you've never heard that good news before, or if you've not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you're from some other religious background, oh, there's good news for you. This is the truth. This is God's salvation. You can be completely accepted by God by faith in Christ alone on the basis of Jesus' perfect life and finished work on the cross. Okay, we've got to move on here. All right, do y'all get that? Okay, I hope so. Keep thinking about it. That brings us to Genesis 16. Faith often involves waiting. So here Moses is unpacking the salvation that God is promising to all the nations, and it involves a faith that sometimes requires waiting. Here's the story. God had promised to give Abraham and Sarah children, but 10 years had gone by since that promise. They were waiting. Some of you struggle with infertility. We did. That can be, that would be a painful 10 years of waiting. And so Sarah suggests, Abraham, I'm not getting pregnant yet. Why don't you have a child by my maidservant, Hagar? So Abraham says, all right. And Ishmael is born. But see, that was wrong. Because Abraham and Sarah should have trusted God's promise. He promised them a child. Their own child. Between the two of them. And even though 10 years had gone by, those 10 years were part of God's wise and loving plan. That delay was part of God's loving plan. Do you understand that delays in answered promises are part of God's wise and loving plan for you? This is so crucial to understand. So often we need to wait on the Lord. And we wait. He always fulfills his promises, every single one of them, but not necessarily in our timing. He is the master timesman, okay? He's got the timing down. So if you right now are discouraged because you've, you know God's promised wisdom for a decision and you haven't received it yet, or you know God's promised to provide, you're not seeing how that's going to happen yet, or you know God's promise to satisfy your heart, and you're, you're pressing and you're in a little bit of a dry time spiritually. Listen, God will answer. There's no doubt about it. Trust Him. Trust Him. Faith involves waiting. That brings us to Genesis 17, 1 through 8. God repeats His promise of salvation here. So this is a repetition of the same theme. It's 13 years later. God comes to Abraham and repeats the promise through you, through your offspring, I'm going to bring salvation to a multitude of nations. Which just drives home the point that salvation is not just to Abraham's biological children, the people of Israel. Salvation is to 
God's supernatural work in terms of spiritually giving children to Abraham, who are from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So here God repeats the promise, and then he gives Abraham a sign of this salvation, and it's circumcision. Remember talking about circumcision for a whole Friday here. But just like circumcision cuts away the man's foreskin, so salvation, God's supernatural work, cuts sin away from our hearts. Cuts away sin from our hearts. Our hearts are supernaturally changed. God's saving power changes us. We don't need to come up with the power to change ourselves. We can't. God's supernatural power changes us. He implants a new nature in us, which loves God, loves Jesus more than anything else, and grows in trusting through the rest of our lives, and finally reaches sinless perfection in heaven. So this is a powerful picture of the supernatural change that comes about in this salvation, which God promises will be to every racial group. And let me just mention, I talked briefly last week, but again, this means that any teaching of white superiority is a lie, or of any race, race's superiority over other races. It's a lie from the evil one. It's straight from the pit of hell. And we believers need to resist it with all our hearts because our God loves every ethnic group, every race. He's created them. They are his workmanship, his beautiful workmanship. So I love being in a church that's international, Abu Dhabi, because we can display to Abu Dhabi, look at what Jesus can do with the races. We can love each other. No matter what's happened between us in our past history, we can love each other. Okay, moving on. I knew that was going to be the struggle with this sermon. We've got to keep, keep moving on here. So Genesis 17, 15 through 18, 15, we learn that, again, nothing can stop God from bringing this salvation to the nations. Abraham is 99 years old. They've been waiting for a long time now to have a child. Sarah has never gotten pregnant in their life, and now she's also well past childbearing years, but now God comes and he promises, a year from now I'm going to come back and you're going to have a son named Isaac. It's going to happen. God promises. And that's how, and then it'll be through Isaac's offspring that the salvation will come to all the nations, because Jesus was Isaac's offspring, right? Now Sarah laughs about this. She laughs at this idea. You know, I'm so old. Are you kidding me? And then God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the key verse in that section. And the author wants us to understand that nothing will get in the way of God accomplishing his saving purpose. Nothing will stop. Not, not a woman too old to have children. Not a man too old to have children. Not Sarah being taken into a harem. Not the hardest, most sinful heart. Nothing will stop God's promise of bringing salvation through Abraham's offspring to every single ethnic group it will happen. God's promise is unstoppable. Now, at this point, Moses, the author, knows that we could misunderstand because there's been all this emphasis on all the nations, all the nations, all the nations. We could think, so God's going to save everyone, every single individual, right? The answer to that is no. We see that in Genesis 18, 16 through 19, 38, where God punishes Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are completely full of unrighteousness, wickedness. There's homosexuality there. There's pride there. It's a completely godless area. And 
God comes to Abraham and says, um, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I just want you to know. Well, Abraham's obviously concerned. Lot lives there. His cousin Lot. And so Abraham says, now God, if, what, what if there's like 10 righteous people there? You wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 10 righteous. And God says, I would not destroy it if there's 10 righteous there. If there's 10 righteous, I will and you see the mercy of God there? There's just 10 righteous people amongst the sea of wickedness. God says, I'll be slow to anger. I'll be patient. Do you see God's mercy there? But there's not 10 righteous. There's really only one righteous. I think Lot is the only one we know of who was righteous. And so God, he ends up saving Lot and his family. We'll come to that in a moment. But he pours out fire and brimstone and his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And they are completely destroyed. And this shows God's judgment is real. There is salvation, but God doesn't save everyone. There will be some people God simply allows to continue in their pride and in their rebellion. And then justly they will face God's, God's judgment. But I love how Moses weaves God's mercy into this section about God's judgment. Because God delivers Lot and his two daughters. It was going to be Lot and his wife and his two daughters. Remember what Lot's wife did? She looked back longingly thinking, I'm leaving all this sin, and she turns into what? A pillar of salt. Remember the story? So that's Lot and his two daughters. Second Peter tells us Lot was righteous. We read in these verses, Lot's daughters were not righteous. And yet God delivers righteous Lot and his two unrighteous daughters. Again, this is a picture. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in patience, and yet he does judge, finally, which is what we see here. Then, oh, this is really embarrassing. Genesis 20, Abraham again lies about Sarah. Godly Abraham, man of faith Abraham. Abraham wasn't perfect, though. Abraham, again, fears for his life. He knows he's going to be meeting up with King Abimelech. He knows Sarah's beautiful. He's afraid that Abimelech will kill him if he knows that Sarah is his wife. So he says, hi, Abimelech, this is my sister, Sarah. Abimelech gets, or Sarah gets taken into Abimelech's harem. And what does God do? God immediately comes to Abimelech in a dream at night. You are a dead man because you've taken Sarah into your harem. Hello. Okay, so Abimelech sends Sarah back to Abraham. She's protected in this whole process. But again, do you, do you see the problem? While she was in the harem, it's like, how's, how are Abraham and Sarah, they're going to get pregnant during this year and have um, Isaac. How's that going to happen if she's in the harem? So God delivers her. Again, God's promise is unstoppable. Are you getting that, that theme? God's promises are unstoppable. Do you understand that nothing can stop God from his saving purposes? Nothing will ever stop God's glorious saving purposes. Okay, now, Genesis 21, 1 through 21, Isaac is born. Okay, even though Abraham had lied twice about Sarah and she's taken into the king's harem, even though Abraham had a child, Ishmael, by Sarah's servant Hagar, even though Abraham and Sarah were well, well past childbearing years, all these insurmountable problems, Abraham and Sarah get pregnant. I mean, can you imagine? They're 100 years old. We, we talked that one Friday. What if there was a couple here who was 100 years old? We announced next week, you know, Charlie and, and Sylvia, they're pregnant. You know, praise the Lord. Everybody just say, whoa, are you kidding me? I mean, can you feel that? It's an amazing thing. So, and Isaac is born. And again, God's promise is unstoppable. 
But now there is another problem. Ishmael is there in the picture. Teenager at the time. The, the language Moses uses shows that Ishmael is threatening Isaac. And so God removes Ishmael and Hagar, his mother, from, from their family, from their household. They leave, they move away, but he, God does it in a way that shows beautiful mercy to them. But he's going to protect Isaac because God's purpose is unstoppable. Then, Genesis 21, 22 through 34, we learn that having this salvation, receiving this beautiful salvation, means that God will always be with you. Here's the story. Um, Abraham had dug a well, but Abimelech's men had taken it over. And so Abimelech and Abraham get it all worked out, but the theme that's portrayed, the, what's highlighted in this story is that God is always with Abraham, which means that everyone who trusts God and his Messiah, God will always be with them. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you, I am sure, are thinking, or you have this last week, I think God's left me. I think God's abandoned me. But see, because you're trusting Jesus, because of his finished work on the cross, his sinless death, you're fully accepted, and God promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has not left you. Yes, there may be problems, there may be heartbreak, there may be severe trials, but see, the book says that all of that is what believers will experience this side of heaven, right? So please don't think God has left you because trials and heartbreak and difficulties are coming. He promises he will use every one of those trials to bring you even more closeness to him and joy in him. And he will give you all the strength you need, all the grace you need, the wisdom you need, the whatever you need to endure those trials. So trust him. He will never leave you. Genesis 22 God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So the main point in this chapter is that God is Jehovah Jireh. Now, I preached on this was just two, three weeks ago. I think I, I said, I made a mistake. I said that God was El Shaddai. El Shaddai is God is Almighty. Okay? It's Jehovah Jireh is that God is the provider. He always provides everything we need. God has called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, but then God says no at the last minute, provides a ram, provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And this whole picture points ahead to the ultimate way God will provide our sacrifice for our sins in Jesus. Okay, here's why. Remember, God has promised through one of Abraham and then now through one of Isaac's offspring this salvation is going to come. Jesus was in Abraham and Isaac's. He was one of their offspring, great, 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 great grandson. And where did God tell Abraham to offer Isaac? On Mount Moriah, which was three days' journey away. And Mount Moriah came to be called Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was sacrificed. Jerusalem is where God the Father did sacrifice His Son. His only son, whom he loves as a payment for our sin. And so this picture of Abraham being called to sacrifice his son is a pointing ahead. It's a picture looking ahead to what God will do for us to procure this salvation, to accomplish this salvation through Jesus. In Genesis 23, we learn that those who are saved must live by faith, not by sight. 
You know how easy it is to live by sight, right? Based on our circumstances, what I'm feeling, what people are saying around me. But we're called to live by faith, not by sight. Here's the situation. Abraham's wife dies, and he grieves. That's a holy, beautiful thing to watch. But then he has to decide, where am I going to bury my wife, Sarah? Now, God has promised to give Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan, but God hasn't given them any of it yet. So is he going to bury Sarah in like what really feels like a foreign land? Or is he going to go 800 kilometers north and bury her in Haran, their home country? And Abraham decides to trust God's promise. God is going to give us this land. And so he buys a plot of land with a cave and buries Sarah in that cave. And then he ends up being buried in that cave. And his son Isaac and wife Rebekah are buried in that cave. And Abraham's grandson Jacob and his wife Leah are buried in that cave. And then soon thereafter, God gives the whole land of Canaan to Abraham. And so Abraham and his lineage end up being buried in their homeland, which God gave to them. But he walks by faith and not by sight. Lesson for us. Okay, then... Genesis 24, last chapter, God provides a wife for Isaac. Abraham's coming to the end of his life. He has a child now, which God promised Isaac. Salvation's going to come to every ethnic group through Isaac's offspring, but Isaac doesn't have any offspring yet because Isaac doesn't have a wife yet. Got to get Isaac a wife. That seems impossible, right? Because there's no godly women living around them. This is the land of Canaan, and they all worship idols. The only godly women are 800 kilometers north amongst Abraham's extended family in the land of Haran. So how's, he gonna, how, how's a, a woman from 800 kilometers north going to want to travel all the way down to a country she's never seen to marry a man she's never met? Nothing is impossible with God. God's purposes are unstoppable. So Abraham knew God is going to provide a wife. So he sent his servant north, and God supernaturally guides the servant. Remember, it's the, one who, the woman who says, yes, I'll give you water, and I will water your 10 camels. Remember, 1,375 or 50 liters of water, that would have meant for thirsty camels. Remember all that last week? Anyway, a very unusual thing for a woman to say, yes, I'll water your camels. Rebecca says she will. The servant knows this is God's choice. Then God changes her family's heart, so they're willing to send her. God changes her heart, so she wants to come. Isaac loves her when he sees her, and they live happily ever after. Um, but see, God's fulfilling the promise, and he provides a wife for Isaac. So, here's 14 events in Abraham's life. And do you see how the theme of all of them is to teach us about God's promise of salvation. In chapters 12 through 24, God promises salvation. We see that his promise of salvation is merciful. It's not because we're good enough to earn it. His promise of salvation is unstoppable. Nothing will get in the way of God saving men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Shows that God's promise of salvation is through Abraham's offspring, through Isaac's offspring, which points ahead towards Jesus. And his promise of salvation changes hearts. His promise of salvation gives forgiveness, we're clothed with his righteousness, and it's for every racial group. So do you see the beauty of this? At the end of Genesis 11, the whole world is under God's curse and facing God's judgment. But then in 12 through 24, through Abraham's life, we see unfolded God's promise of salvation, which will come to every single racial group. What a glorious 
loving God, merciful God we have. That even though we've all sinned against him at great cost to himself sending his own son, at great cost to Jesus going to the cross, procuring salvation for us. This is an amazing picture. God creates, we sin, sin spreads, and God promises salvation, which is why we are here today in Abu Dhabi, saved and trusting Jesus. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways to think about and to ponder. First, if you've never turned from your sin and, and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, I want to urge you to do that right now. You've seen, this is history. This is what happens. God creates. We sin. Sin spreads. God promises salvation. Jesus came. It all has happened. It's all history. And you're seeing displayed before you a God who is so loving and so merciful and so kind. He's just beautiful. And his, his son Jesus coming and dying for the cross is glorious. So you have every reason to turn from your sin, just like we sang earlier. Sin will never satisfy you like Jesus Christ will satisfy you. I know. Everyone here knows. Sin never satisfies you like knowing Jesus Christ satisfies you. So please, turn from your sin today and put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't, you will face what Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction pictures. Please, don't do that. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. You will experience God's power changing your heart. Don't worry about not feeling religious or not, not having much faith. He will take care of all that. You just say, help me. I trust that you'll do what you've promised. Here I am. I'm a wreck. Save me. Change me. Forgive me. Accept me. And he's running towards you with everything that you need because he loves you. So turn from your sin. Put your trust in Jesus. Second, some of you are, are struggling and discouraged because you're, you're not seeing God fulfilling his promises. Maybe because you're, you're waiting or you just don't see any way he's going to be able to fulfill his promises given what your circumstances are. See in these chapters, Genesis 12 through 24, God's unstoppable faithfulness to his promises. He has never broken a promise. Everyone who trusts him has all of the promises fulfilled for them. So see God's faithfulness and trust Him. Again, you may be being called to wait. You may be looking at impossible, seemingly impossible situations. But understand, God will forgive all your sins through Jesus Christ. I don't care what that one sin is, how horrible that was, or that season of your life. He will forgive all your sins through Christ. He's promised. He will satisfy your heart more than sin will. Trust Him. Trust Him. He will draw near to you as you draw near to Him in, in the Word and in prayer. Get time seeking the Lord on your own where you're praying, where you're opening up God's Word. He will draw near to you. You will meet the living God. He'll give you the wisdom you need when you seek Him. He'll provide for you when you seek Him. He'll give you power over that temptation you're struggling. He will give you power over it. And if you 
choose not to trust him and you sin, he'll forgive you when you confess it. What a God. He'll bring you great joy in him through every trial you're facing right now. Great joy in him awaits. These are momentary, light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's coming. Trust him. Trust him. Weak saint, weak believer, trust God's promises. He's faithful. His promises are unstoppable. Third, join God's plan to bring salvation to all the nations, all the peoples. Join God's plan. God's plan is unstoppable. He will do it. It's going to happen. The only question is, will you get in on the joy of being part of this? If you're a follower of Christ and you're getting bored with your Christian life, one of the reasons might be that you're not engaged in advancing the gospel. Much joy comes as we take risky steps and reach out to someone and, and watch God open hearts and watch God you know, open opportunities and watch God give us words to say and watch God touch people's lives. Much joy comes from that because we see God more clearly in that. And if you aren't engaged, if you're not on the front lines, if you're bored with your Christian life, that may be the reason why. You might say, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, we're, we're in Abu Dhabi. Well, you need to be wise here. You need to be humble here. No public preaching on the street corners here. But we can share our testimonies with individuals here. We can share our story of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives here. That's, that's not a problem. As long as we're gracious, and we're not pushy, we're not argumentative, Right? And listen, if you ask God, God, I, I want to join your cause of advancing the gospel, he will show you what he wants you to do. It won't be what he wants the person next to you to do or the person across the room. It'll be what he wants you to do. And he will give you wisdom in terms of steps to take, who you can reach out to, who you can share the gospel with. And as you take those steps, he'll give you the, the grace, he'll give you the, the boldness, he'll give you the words, and you will see God work in beautiful ways. Join God's plan to bring salvation to all the nations. Ask him what you should do. He will always answer that prayer and then take the steps he gives you to take. So, turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus if you've never done that. Trust God's promises if you're struggling with whether he's going to be faithful or not and join God's plan of bringing salvation to all the nations. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would bring your power upon us now and just seal this message into our hearts. I pray for those who have not yet put their trust in Christ. Lord, right now bring your power upon them and change their hearts. Draw them to yourself. Have them turn to you in their hearts and turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their treasure. Do that now, I pray, please. God, I pray for those who are here trusting Christ but are discouraged, 
are weak in faith because of difficulties, because of waiting, because of not yet seeing the promises fulfilled, oh Lord God, we pray as a church body, strengthen them. Strengthen them. Let them see that your promises are unstoppable. You will be faithful. Let them see that God is faithful. Lord, please strengthen their faith, strengthen their hearts right now. And Lord, those here who know you and love you but are not engaged in advancing salvation, who are not on the front lines, who are not reaching out to lost people with love and invitations out for coffee and sharing testimonies, Lord, right now give them faith that you could use them in this way. And this week, stir their hearts with what steps you want them to take so they can have the joy of joining you in your mission to bring salvation to all the nations. In Jesus' name.